Guru Shakyamuni by Nepami Bhushan. Ah, birthless, appearing as Shunita. Empty are all things ceaselessly manifesting. Together, not to like Maya, a dream. Before me, the sky, full of an ocean of offerings like the penis clouds, is a lion throne, all bejeweled, and on it, upon a lotus flower, whose heart, like the sun and moon, mats with the matchless guide, the Shakyamuni Buddha. Golden of skin, glorious in all the signs, symbols betoken the perfect light one. Wrapped in three Dharma robes in yellow and seated in the lotus position. His right hand is the earth touching mudra, a gesture showing his enlightenment in pose most beautiful. His left hand is the meditation mudra, holding nectar filled begging bowl like a mountain of gold. He is sitting in the glory of streaming light. Rays of transcending wisdom cover the sky like a net of rainbows, and close to him are eight great spiritual sons, the Bodhisattvas, along with sixteen arhats, the utterly purified, and round them all is an ocean of holy assembly of the Sangha Meditating on his holy form, remembering him, not falling into the streams of the world, but Parabhnamrana, he is a store of the great bliss, most glorious transcending, manifesting himself as the great being, covering all with his mercy.
studying this manager, think of the virtues of the Buddha all the time with an unwandering mind. The body of the guide, supreme rainbow lights of transcending wisdom, stream in a great manifestation of glory. Varieties raise the sins and failings of all men are cleansed and cleared. And seeing his earth-touching pose, so seeing the virtues, the path of Mahayana, and praying that these may arise in all men's hearts, think of the non-returning path of the Buddhas and how they witnessed to their enlightenment with the Bhumi Isparsha Mudra. Remembering how the Buddha releases us from the states of suffering and keeping him in your mind all the day. Whether going outside, in the house, at your tasks, while sleeping or sleeping. At night, you can see him radiating lights in all directions, our guide. Bhagavan, in the daytime, see him clearly as if on a beautiful, cloudless day. The day dawns, and all the day, remember how in the past the enlightenment thought arose in Shadowland. Think too of the way all the Buddhas and Mahabodhisattvas of old lived, practicing the perfections until liberation was reached. Follow in their footsteps. Think again of the Bodhisattva vow. Act without weakness and follow the way of the Bodhisattvas. And practice silent meditation, both Samatha and Vipassana. Think you have received all the good opportunities, leaving your unfavorable conditioning behind. Sarmangalam, Sarmangalam, Sarmangalam. And taking a few minutes to dwell in the meditation, the unity of tranquility and insight. Good, you can take that with you and if you wish, uh, practice or contemplate it. Beautiful, beautiful, pithy uh, meditation of Shakyamuni.
Yes, indeed there is. Does anybody else need a copy? No, that was the last one printed. There are no more. <laughs> Ran out of ink at that very last page. Shall we carry along the text or any pressing matters of business that have not been resolved in previous meetings? It's the same. Robert's Rules, is it? Something like that. Robert's Rules. B. Dharmakirti. The tradition of Dharmakirti of Acharya Sangha's school, which was founded by Arya Maitreya, has two topics. One, Cultivating aspiration bodhicitta, and two, holding the vow of action bodhicitta, which is what you received. If you'll notice, you received actually three. I broke it down into three distinctive, um, when you received the formal ceremony, three distinctive <coughs> qualities of bodhicitta to, to uh, take. The former contains three topics A, preparation, B, actual ceremony, and C, conclusion. One, cultivation of aspiration bodhicitta. A, preparation. The preparation also has three subdivisions. <coughs> Supplication, two, gathering accumulations, and three, special refuge. One, supplication. Disciple who wishes to cultivate bodhicitta proceeds toward a qualified spiritual master and does prostrations. The spiritual master gives instructions and through his instruction causes the disciple to renounce samsara just like that. That'd be good. Occasionally it happens. It does happen. Give instruction, someone says, that's it. Develop great compassion towards all sentient beings. Create the desire to attain Buddhahood. Develop confidence in the three jewels and develop devotion for the master. After that, the, the disciple repeats after the master this way. Quote, please hear me, master, as the previous thus gone ones, foe destroyers, Complete perfect Buddhas and Bodhisattvas who reside in high levels first cultivate the mind of unsurpassed perfect enlightenment. Likewise, I, with your name, request the Master to allow me to cultivate the enlightened attitude of the unsurpassed perfect enlightenment, repeating that three times. That's a request. Two gathering accumulations, first prostrate to the Master and triple gem making offerings of whatever you can actually gather, or visualize the mind all the offerings that exist. Every single offering in the universe. To the very last one. You can try. The Shramanera vows received from the uh, Uptaya, the Kempo, and Acharya. Bhikkhu vows are obtained from the Sangha, but the two types of bodhicitta are obtained through the accumulation of merit. So therefore, if one has wealth, it is not sufficient to offer just a little. One needs to make a great offering. In previous times, wealthy bodhisattvas made great offerings. They offered 10 million temples and then cultivated bodhicitta. So, uh, it was expected 
you expect if you have great wealth you offer great wealth and uh, even uh, some people uh, at times out uh, competed each other you know competed with each other how much how many temples they could build how many offerings they could make uh, great uh, obviously great status symbol but at the same time um, purifying themselves through through generosity the fortunate Eon Sutra mentions, quote, during the regency of King Zamlin, the Subhita Drakjim, having offered over 10 million temples to Tagata, uh, Dayatok developed a Porichitta for the first time. So it may require uh, a lot of purification through generosity uh, of symbols of merit to actually get the message. Right. If one has little wealth, it is sufficient to make a small offering. In previous times, Bodhisattvas who had little wealth made small offerings. By offering a lamp made of one blade of grass, they cultivated Bodhicitta. It is said, during the regency of Sugata Ronki Ten Tenpa, the Thagata Tewo, after having offered a lamp made of a single blade of grass developed bodhicitta for the first time. Pretty good. So, whatever you have. Again, if one has no wealth, there is no need to feel sad over lack of means. It will be sufficient to do three prostrations. In previous times, bodhisattvas did three prostrations and developed bodhicitta. These are very, very uh, swift beings, yes? Swift beings. Three prostrations, that's it. Oh, that's great. It is said the Thagata Yongden Trangden, after having done three prostrations before the Thagata Gidan, developed Bodhicitta for the first time. Number three, a special refuge. By the way, you might be wondering about these past Buddhas and, and uh, story about them. Are you wondering? No one's asked, well, how is this possible? There are beings who have, in the past, and maybe even today, uh, have extraordinary recollection of the Buddhas of the past, uh, past, present, and future. And can list them and name them and recount stories of them and what happened. It's quite extraordinary. And they're very honest, genuine beings, but they have that kind of attainment where the omniscience level opens up and they have memory not just of the past but of the future. So it's quite, it's quite extraordinary. And you can read about it, some of these things. The, when it happens, they just open and just, just have clear recollection. In the same way that someone like a, Kar a Karapa or a Namjolimbashe comes by and says, oh, uh, a baby, maybe six months old or a year, Goes, oh, that's that's the such and such reincarnation of so and so who was this and this and this and this. And this good done. Come here. Just like that. Or there's a crowd. Oh, that person over there. Come here. That's fine. Special refuge. This is the same as was explained before in chapter 8. And now the actual ceremony, B. The Master gives instructions to the disciple in this way. Quote, Whatever space pervades, there are sentient beings. Wherever there are sentient beings, they are pervaded by the afflicting emotions. 
Wherever there are afflicting emotions, negative karma pervades. Wherever there are evil deeds, suffering pervades. The sentient beings who are suffering were all our parents, and these parents were very kind to us. Thus your kind parents are sinking in an ocean of samsara, tortured by innumerable sufferings. There is no one to protect them. There is so much suffering that they are exhausted and overpowered by delusions. So meditate on how wonderful it would be if they met with the peace, the face of happiness. How wonderful if they were free of the suffering. Contemplate this meditation on loving-kindness compassion for a moment. You know, some people, it's kind of funny, some people have this idea that prayers must be long. That the longer the prayer, the more effective it is. This isn't true. The stronger the merit, and the more concentrated the mind, the job just gets done. So people have this idea that there is a relationship between time and uh, effectiveness of prayer or contemplation or meditation. Not necessarily. If you have a swift mind, it's fast. If you have a slow mind, well, it's because there's lack of concentration. You need to do it again and again and again and again and again. But uh, these contemplations actually can be done fast, and sometimes better fast because they're fresh. Whereas long and drawn out is uh, a lot of discursive thought and may not actually be to the point. So just remember uh, that there's not necessarily the equation always between length of time and contemplation, meditation, and prayer. If you get my drift, if it's a drifty drift, it's not, but it's a point. Right? Somebody else may be maybe a half an hour, maybe one hour, maybe two hours, three hours. But here it says, for a moment, quote, furthermore, contemplate. At this time, I have no ability to benefit all those beings. Therefore, in order to benefit these beings, I should attain the state of the one who is called the complete Buddha, the one who has fully exhausted all the faults and, perf and perfected all the qualities, has all the abilities to benefit sentient beings. Bring this in the mind. Not only a Buddha, but contemplating some of the features of Buddha. Uh, that is, a fully awake being has the ability to ripen any being that they meet. It's extraordinary, isn't it? And you see this during the lifetime of the Buddha. How many different kinds of peoples uh, he uh, liberate, uh, uh, not liberate, they have to do it themselves, uh, as assisted in liberation. Takes great skill. After that, repeat after the spiritual master, quote, Please hear me, all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas of the Ten Directions. Please hear me, Masters. My name is, quote, by the root virtues I accumulated in other lifetimes through the practices of generosity, moral ethics, and meditation practice, whether I did them myself, asked others to do them, or rejoiced in others' good deeds, by all those virtues as the Buddhas, the previous thus-gone ones, foe-destroyers, fully perfect enlightened ones, exalted ones, and the great Bodhisattva, Mahasattvas who reside in the high levels first cultivate the mind of the unsurpassed, perfect enlightenment. Likewise, I, so your name, from now on until I achieve perfect, unsurpassed enlightenment, 
will cultivate the mind of unsurpassed perfect enlightenment for deliverance of all those sentient beings who have not crossed, to release those who are not released, to help those who have not found the, the, breath, the breath to expel it, and, and to help those who have not achieved the full nirvana to achieve it. Thus repeat three times. Okay? So it's very extensive, very, very extensive, over and over again, to uh, make uh, it firm in the mind of what you're, what, what's on about. Beings who have not crossed means sentient beings who inhabit the hell realms, hungry ghosts and animals, those in the lower realms who have not crossed the ocean of suffering. Deliver means to liberate them from the suffering of the lower realms and establish them in the higher realms of gods and humans. Those who are not released means uh, the beings in the human and god realms who are not released from the bondage of iron, fetter-like, afflicting emotions. Released means establishing them in the definite goodness by releasing them from the afflicting emotions and achieving the state of liberation. Those who have not found the breath, a beautiful statement, those who have not found the breath, what life is about, means those hearers and solitary realizers who have not found the breath of Mahayana. To expel the breath means those who have expelled their breath in the view and behavior of the Mahayana vehicle by cultivating the mind in the supreme enlightenment and attaining the state of the tenth bhumi. That's, that's a high attainment indeed. Good. Those who have not achieved the full nirvana means those bodhisattvas who have not attained the non-abiding nirvana. To achieve the full nirvana means though that these bodhisattvas proceed through all the paths and bhumis and then achieve the full nirvana, which means they attain Buddhahood. Quote four, and quote means making commitment to achieve enlightenment in order to accomplish all the necessary actions. Very extensive, isn't it? Every little bit. What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? It keeps saying, what does it keep saying? I will attain full Buddhahood and all the powers and qualities of that attainment for the benefit of all sentient beings. Kind of gives you a feeling that that's what it's all about. It's all about having great capacity, unlimited capacity to help all kinds of creatures. Conclusion C. Having achieved such a great benefit, one should have great joy and should meditate on great happiness. Also, one should receive explanation of all the trainings. Thus, one who has cultivated his mind, this mind, is called the Bodhisattva, which means having the desire to achieve enlightenment in order to benefit all sentient beings. Having the desire to liberate all sentient beings after achieving enlightenment, focusing the mind on enlightenment and sentient beings, and for this purpose, possessing a great warrior mind and indomitable courage. Warrior mind means uh, a real strong mind. Mm -hmm. You can actually take up the banner of Dharma and, uh, and declare it. Note of technical clarification, because it's important for you. You, because you have taken the Bodhisattva commitment, you can call yourself a Bodhisattva. 
But the distinction that was made in, in a long time ago was Bodhisattva was a short... It used to be that just a Bodhisattva meant great Bodhisattva. Then Bodhisattva is reserved for any being who really has made a commitment and does Bodhisattva-like things. Good acts. Uh, but the technical term that's used in very old texts like the Vimuttamaga, other, other texts, is a Mahabodhisattva refers to beings of the first Bhumi and upwards. And I've even seen, somewhere I've seen this, uh, a reference to really the last Bhumis being a Mahabodhisattva. Depends on the uh, context and depends on the tradition. Okay. You, so you can consider all of you, yourselves, if you have the wish to become liberated and for all sentient beings, uh, as bodhisattvas, bodhisattvas in training, and then Mahabodhi, great bodhisattvas, are beings that actually have some realization uh, of that, and are actually manifesting it. So, as I said, did, did anybody uh, begin uh, to make a list of the uh, good qualities uh, that you have exhibited, and the blessings that you've had? No? Yes? Okay, I see some heads. Minute movements, like an auction. <laughs> Lord. So, so like, like, nobody can put it. This is sort of like... Or a little... Because the teacher will know, you know. The teacher is intuitive. <laughs> That's good. Very good. But you see, uh, are any of the things that you did today, or yesterday, or the day before, or a week ago, or a month ago, or ten years ago, are they, are they bodhisattva-like acts? Then, guess what? They're, it's there. Harness it day and night. That's what's up. That's what's up. This completes the ceremony for cultivated cultivation of aspiration bodhisattva. Two, holding the vow of action bodhisattva. You remember these, yes? It's one thing to aspire, it's another thing to actually act. Yeah, or venture, you know, like business venture? This is not a business venture, this is this is venturing forth into the world of compassion. Holding the vow of action bodhicitta. There are three topics regarding taking the action bodhicitta vow, which you have done. A preparation, the actual ceremony, and conclusion. A preparation. Preparation has ten subdivisions. Supplicating, this was not, uh, these ten, all these different phases were not uh, spelled out. So, quick, speedy, to the point. Supplicating, asking about common obstacles, explain the different types of downfalls, Explain the faults of downfalls, explain the, ben the beneficial effects of taking the vow, gathering the accumulations, asking about the uncommon obstacles, encouragement, developing special altruistic thought, and briefly explaining the training of a bodhisattva. Be the actual ceremony. Disciples should cultivate desire to accept the vow 
The master calls the noble disciple by name and asks, quote, the basis of training of all the bodhisattvas of the past and those moral ethics, the basis of training of all the bodhisattvas of the future and those moral ethics, the basis of training of all the bodhisattvas abiding in the ten directions in the present and those moral ethics, the bodhisattva of the past who are trained on the basis of those trainings of moral ethics, the bodhisattvas of the future who will be trained, the bodhisattvas abiding in the ten directions in the present who are being trained on the basis of those trainings of moral ethics. All the moral ethics are the moral ethics of restraint, the moral ethics of accumulating virtues, and the moral ethics of, benefit, of benefiting sentient beings. Do you want to accept these from me, a bodhisattva, with the name of? So, this is, this is asking formally. Are you willing to take this on? Are you making a request? Do you accept the challenge? Who was the mission possible? What was his name? Mr. Anybody remember mission mission impossible? The the fellow Mr. Phelps. Was it Mr. Phelps? Do you will you do you want to take this on? This mission mission impossible? Not sure. Should you choose to accept Yes, but the name. Mr. Mr. Phelps. Mr. Phelps, would you like to you do any any of you know this? Isn't it Gray? Mr. Gray? Oh maybe Mr. Gray. There's Phelps in there somewhere. Yeah, Mr. Gray. So you put your name in there for Mission Impossible. Except this is Mission Impossible. Mission. This is Mission Impossible. Do you wish to accept? Yes. You get one microsecond to answer. Otherwise, Do you want to accept these from me, a bodhisattva, with the name of? This is asked three times. The disciple should respond. The disciple should respond. Yes, I want to. Three times. C. Conclusion. The conclusion has six subdivisions: making an announcement, explain the beneficial effects of entering into the omniscient wisdom state, warning not to proclaim the vow randomly. That would be going to downtown Galliano and you walk into Daystar and go, maybe maybe Nancy over there. I just see her, you know, going into Daystar and talking to the staff. You know, uh, I've taken the voice up for that. <laughs> Guess what I got? And, uh, do you have it? And then going across the road to the corner store and meeting friends and talking to the, uh, the shopkeeper there. I took the Bodhisattva vow yesterday. Uh, isn't that something? So, so uh, be careful about random acts of um, unintelligence. Not so random. Not so random. No such thing. I'm just kidding. But there are people that do this, by the way. It wouldn't be in the text. Well, I know of examples. So I make jokes about this. But most of, you know most of my jokes, they come from where? Uh, oh yeah, a lot of years of witnessing uh, stuff that you laugh at, <laughs> but I've actually had to shake my head and go, oh my goodness, and sometimes clean up the little messes. So 
So the conclusion has six subdivisions. Making announcement, explain the beneficial effects of entering into the mystery of wisdom state, warning not to reclaim the vow randomly, making the disciple understand by briefly describing the training, offering as, as appreciation and dedication, dedicating the virtues. This concludes taking the action bodhicitta vow. This is the tradition of Dharmakirti. Okay, now the beneficial effects. All this was basically done uh, in the morning, and then um, uh, very quickly all these elements um, are in there in what you did. Beneficial effects. Uh, by the way, it's it's very simple. If you if you are here and you've exp if you you've heard the teachings in the morning of the previous day and you come, you have obviously accepted. Yes, you've made your acceptance known. But if there's someone that I have doubts about, I may say later, or usually don't show up. I I get really fortunate that way. They just seem not to show up. Yeah, quite true. But you know, if they show up and they take it, I'm not too concerned. Because who knows, maybe two or three lifetimes, birthings, won't be them, but somebody else will all of a sudden be sitting at the dining room table, having Caesar salad, and go... I will become a bodhisattva! Just like that. Or maybe they're watching the evening news. This, you know, I'm, I'm not joking. You think I'm joking. I just like to make it funny, but I'm not, not joking. Uh, something like this. They're watching the evening news, and there's uh, the Dalai Lama, or uh, a teacher, or a Lama, or uh, Acharya, uh, on being interviewed. Maybe uh, local uh, South African uh, news, or uh, Cape Town local news, and someone sees it on television and goes, Oh my God, I want to do that. I want to send that me. Whatever they've got, I want it. This has happened many times. Yeah. On YouTube, on the radio, uh, maybe a university lecture, they see a post, picture, a poster, or a teacher, or they read about announcement, and it clicks in. Don't, don't think this doesn't happen. It happens all the time. The force of taking the uh, refuge and the bodhicitta commitment, you never know in this lifetime when it actually happens. Even if you're practicing Buddhist and you've taken the bodhisattva commitments, what is going to happen one day is it's going to kick in. So the, you might take the ceremony, but actually what's uh, really important is that one day it just goes, oh my gosh, there's really, isn't there really nothing, there's nothing else to do. This is it. This is important. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Much rather that kick in than a, uh, yes, I accept. Yes, I accept mission uh, probable. Mission absolutely will happen at some point. Mr. Hunt. Mr. Hunt? Ethan Hunt. That's not the movie, the television, the television series. Mr. Phelps, Mr. Gray. Well, we'll have to watch. You know, we could get the entire series and watch the entire series. Five or ten years of Mr. Phelps. Well, we have Sea Hunt there, you know. And one of the guys, somebody bought Sea Hunt. It was last year, the year before, and bought the entire.
collection of all the, the old sea hounds from what, 1960-something. They're pretty funny to watch. Watch about three or four. Okay, that's it. That's it. Nostalgia, done. They were really poorly done. But in those days, right? That's early days. Early days of television. Incredible overacting. Uh, most of them are from theater. So if you want to do that, we can have a debate about this. But it's not so important. <laughs> we have other things we could do. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, number eight, the beneficial effects. You know, we were talking over supper. Don't read. Don't. They don't really need nitrous oxide, do they? No, it's no. plenty in the room. There's plenty of nitrous oxide in the room. <laughs> What a guess. What a guess. <laughs> well, I, I heard something goofy <laughs> You know the, the bottles of uh, whipped cream? You know, the ones you push down? Yeah. Shhh. What are you People actually sniffing the gas. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why? That's like why would you do that when you can go to your little home lab and generate pure laughing gas, you know? So anyways, two different ways. But then you get you get all the uh, you got all the whipped cream. What do you do with all that whipped cream? You can't whip it. <laughs> it's already whipped. Okay, now the beneficial effects of, of, uh, of accepting this uh, most probable mission. Uh, wondrous, improbable. Probable, extraordinary, uh, inconceivably vast mission of lifetimes. Fantastic. Beneficial effects. Cultivating bodhicitta has two types of beneficial effects. See? Countable. You can count them. Count them on your fingers, even if you have to use many hands. If you have to use three or four hands on your body, go right ahead. And there's no comment. <laughs> and B, uncountable beneficial effects. A, the countable effects. This has two subdivisions. You knew that was coming. Two, three, or four subdivisions. The beneficial effects of cultivating aspiration bodhicitta and the beneficial effects of cultivating action bodhicitta. Okay? Number one, the beneficial effects of cultivating aspiration bodhicitta. This has eight subdivisions. A, entering into the Mahayana. B, it becomes the basis for the Bodhisattva training. All unwholesome deeds will be uprooted. D, unsurpassable enlightenment becomes rooted. Rooted. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It becomes rooted. It's like, it's like having seedlings in the uh, little uh, pots. That's the aspiration to have a garden. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The soil sits outside in bags. The peat moss is out there. There's a shovel. There's a wheelbarrow. There's even like a something that looks like a swing, a rock swimming pool out there, and there's seedlings growing here. That's called what? Aspiration bodhicitta. Right? And the seedlings are even growing. Aspiration bodhicitta. The seedlings are coming. You can just imagine what the plant will look like, what the kale will look like, what the chard will look like. Yes. 
what the vows will look like mm -hmm. in some future date. But it's only potential. Right? So what is action, Bodhicitta, with the garden? You put them in the garden and, right Pat? You sprinkle them, you take care of them, you cultivate them, cultivate them. They actually do what? You see them through to becoming edible food or beautiful plants that you would not eat. Maybe we don't even eat anything in there. It's possible, because the mice will. <laughs> or the deer will. Go get it. So, so this is action. So I like that. Unsurpassable enlightenment becomes rooted. The seedling is in. It's begun. One will obtain limitless merits. All the Buddhas will be pleased. One becomes useful to all sentient beings. Now this is a beautiful statement. One becomes useful to all sentient beings, not just one. Your boyfriend, or your girlfriend, or your husband, or, your, or a few of your children. All sentient beings. You never know who you're going to meet who will benefit by your uh, qualities of mind, right? Mm -hmm. You'd have no idea. And it can be limitless. And one quickly attains perfect enlightenment. This is very important. I, I feel this is very important. Is the maturation of the, Bodhi, of the Bodhisattva is a maturation that you never know and you wish to uh, uh, affect all life by a greater capacity and more virtuous mind and more uh, luminous mind. So what are you scared of? Why the fear of those qualities, of manifesting those qualities to all beings, if they're already inside you somewhere? Isn't that a huge fear? What would happen if you failed? What would happen if they didn't like you? What would happen if they disagreed with you? What would happen if they didn't let you on the bus? So when people tell me, you know, if I do this uh, meditation thing, there's another one I've heard. If I do this medit I love the language. If I do this meditation thing, so stuff, meditation stuff, I couldn't. I might lose all my friends. Oh, well, that's just too bad. Are they your friends? So, this kind of worry. A. If one has not cultivated supreme bodhicitta. He is not counted as part of the Mahayana family, even though he may have excellent behavior. By the way, how many friends could you have, potentially, on this planet? Just humans, potentially. Seven billion. It's about seven billion. It's not 7.2 billion. Do you think you're going to exhaust the possibility of friendship? <laughs> <laughs> no, people were, you know, I, I'm concerned that if I meditate uh, and, and, and join a group, you know, join a group, and like a cult, something like that. I'm gonna lose my friends. There's almost countless, for most people, seven billion is countless, yes? Mm -hmm. Potential friends out there. 
Why are you worrying about one or two? Okay, Facebook. 22. <laughs> 23, 24. <laughs> some of you, probably some of you, are up to what? Three, four hundred? Three hundred. Okay, three, do I hear three hundred? Do I hear 325, 325? Anybody, three, come on, admit it. 325, 400? How about those, all you that don't respond and have potential friends? <laughs> and they're mounting all the time. People I've never heard about. It's marvelous. All these people I've never heard about that want to be my friends. So don't worry about these things. If one has not cultivated the Supreme Bodhicitta, he is not counted as part of the Mahayana family, even though he may have excellent behavior. So you can have the most beautiful behavior in the world. Even do acts of relative compassion. Build hospitals, build schools, be a wonderful teacher, uh, um, have art projects around the world, all, all kinds of uh, feed people, be a research scientist, and help uh, defeat uh, cancer or malaria, these kinds of things, yes? But it doesn't constitute a bodhisattva. Because you still don't know the roots of human affliction. Right? And you haven't rooted out yourself. Yes, you've lost your beard. Is that a relative bodhisattva or something? It is. Like that's, 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 cool. that's a re, it's a no. It's relative. It's relative compassion. Mm. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, we we all need that, but it doesn't. No matter how many hospitals you build. Have you ever worked at a hospital? Yes, rampant afflictive emotions. Mm. It doesn't matter how many hospitals you build. It doesn't matter how many universities you build. It doesn't matter how many schools you build. It doesn't matter whether you build uh, in a government, a department of the environment, or food safety. Yes? It doesn't matter. It will still be rampant with afflictive emotions. People are still suffering. Their lifestyle may be better. This is good. This is why it's relative. Do you understand? That's why it's relative compassion. But you still haven't rooted out the negativity. And you say, well, they're nice beings. They are until they get poked. They are until they lose their job. They are until they get fired. They are until there's a financial squeeze. They are until someone gets a better desk than they do. You think I'm joking. No. They are until you have a better chair than they do. Or you get a computer that's an IBM PC and they only have a three-year-old Zenith. Remember Zeniths? Probably not. They weighed about 30 pounds. I used to have a Zenith. Weighed about 30 pounds, one of the first laptops. I think it had a 10 megabyte hard disk. So, doesn't matter, the most wonderful organization has what? Greed. Hatred, delusion, pride, and jealousy. So they're wonderful, they're necessary, they're good, let's have more of them, right? But understand, they don't end the afflictive emotions, and for that reason, even a nice being in a nice institution will go to war. If they don't go to war in themselves, which they're doing, they'll go to war with others institutionally, they'll go to war at home, they might be sweet and nice, but they may be the same person 
that eats up their kids or whatever. Yes? Eat bubble. So. If one has not entered the Mahayana, one cannot achieve Buddhahood. But one who has cultivated the supreme bodhicitta enters into the Mahayana. The Bodhisattva Bhumi say, quote, immediately after cultivating the mind, one enters in the Mahayana, the unsurpassed enlightenment. Like clear water, beautiful, sweet tasting, clear water. B. If one does not have the desire to achieve Buddhahood, which is called the mind of aspiration, there is no basis on which to develop the three moralities. Restraint accumulation of virtues, and benefiting sentient beings, which constitute the bodhisattva training. So there, there you have it. Eh? So what restraint, for what, what kind of restraint? Restraining from doing unwholesome things. But that's a very personal matter. You have to find out, unless you want all kinds of rules and rituals, but you have to find out what is restraint. That can be different. Uh, that, so you have to watch cultural restraint. Uh, Namjrimshe once told me when he was a bhikkhu uh, Nandabodhi in uh, I think it was Thailand. He was staying in a monastery and had to get to he had to go teach uh, at school somewhere, and he was late for uh, so he ran across the lawn in a monastery, and got held up by the abbot and his friends, and they scolded him, berated him for moving too quickly. Bhikkhus do not run. They walk and proceed. It's unseemly and bad behavior to be running. Bhikkhus do not run. He once told me that. He says, is that, that what you want to learn? He never, he never forgot that one. I could just see him because I understand from people that knew him in Burma, he probably would have said something like, so what? <laughs> But uh, it's not whether you run or not, it's how you run. It's not whether you walk or not. You can be walking and walking like a bowl of anger. That's not restraint. You could be walking the most beautiful in robes, most beautiful robes, walking along, held, head held high, and nothing but pride. Or dullness. You understand? So what's restraint? Mm -hmm. You could be eating, you could be served the most beautiful food. Let's say you're you're a monastic, or or any of you. Serve beautiful food, and you go, No, I cannot, I cannot eat this food. It's uh, it's 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 pleasure. Is that restraint? Or the person that eats very simple food, like rice, maybe with a bit of sauce on top, and a little bowl of soup. That's restrained, isn't it? 
thoughts in your mind. One time I got in a, see I tell you these things because I've had this, seen this so much, so many times. One time in robes, uh, three, three of us got into a car at the airport and uh, two um, uh, students or followers of the 16th, uh, 16th Karma asked if they could get a ride into Toronto. So we said, sure, in someone's car, yeah, sure, come on, we got room. So as we proceeded to take off our robes in the car, into our street clothes. That shot. Then, I remember they got in the back seat, too young, really, well, they were my age, but really young. I can remember them as being really young. Because um, someone now was driving the car. This is car. This thing is the Volvo. Um, uh, are you sure you're allowed to drive? <laughs> I remember someone, I, mean, I never forget this in my life. Someone looking uh, monks don't drive, do they? Why not? Well, um, it's kind of improper, isn't it, for a monk to drive? Uh, and we're now looking at, going, we know the type. <laughs> we know the type. It's okay, hold on, here we go. <laughs> Never driven before, don't actually have a license, but here, away we go. So, you see about restraint? Yeah, restraint. Yeah? So we have restraint. Accumulation of virtues. By showy accumulation of virtues or by real accumulation of virtues. By silent or by loud and benefiting sentient beings. Does the being actually benefit others? And is it for some? Or are they just absolutely blissfully uh, in a state of joy seeing people unfold and grow? And there's not a thought about it like, wow, I did that, and I did that, and I did that. And look what I'm doing. Which constitute the Bodhisattva. Let's, let's put that up there, Raphael, on the board. These three, these three moralities of the Bodhisattva training. <coughs> Restraint, accumulation of virtues, and benefiting sentient beings. Lovely. The three modes. Sorry, I think I missed one straight. Accumulation of virtues. Yes. And I, I missed one. And actually benefiting uh, sentient beings. Where's your training? There it is. You can take any one of the five precepts and use that as a training of restraint. Restraint from what? To do harm. <coughs> Decrease one's uh, store of merit. Understand? So you just decrease your store of merit, which is a benefit to all beings, by having lots of merit. So by, by, uh, by not following the precepts, or by eroding the five precepts, 
you erode your strength of merit. Make sense? Yeah. Just, just erode it. So restraint. Somebody maybe should walk slowly. That might be restraint. Why? They move too fast. Somebody else needs to speed up because they go too slow. Pride in being a meditator. Pride in clinging to meditation. Pride in being somnambulistic. What? Somnambulistic. Walking and sleeping at the same time. <laughs> I, I often call this the uh, walking zombies uh, meditation. Yeah. It's, it's, it's knowing, it's knowing, it, you need a kind of a, I always call it a BS detector. You need a built-in BS detector that tells you, like a Geiger counter, when uh, it, it's inappropriate, when the restraint is there. You listen to it. Okay, very good, very good. When one has a desire to attain Buddhahood, these three moralities are developed and maintained. That's that's it. That's really what it is. Where's insight here? What's what's a great virtue? As far as I'm concerned, a great virtue is penetrative insight wisdom. That's a great virtue. It's an incredible strength. It makes you a very, very strong being like nothing else. To have real, abiding clarity of mind that sees things, phenomena, including self, as they are. It's an incredible virtue. And then you can really benefit beings. More and more compassion. But one who has cultivated the Supreme Bodhicitta enters into the Mahayana. The Bodhisattva Bhumi say, quote again, immediately after cultivating the mind, one enters into the Mahayana, the unsurpassed enlightenment. B, if one does not have the desire to achieve Buddhahood, which is called the mind of aspiration, there is no basis on which to develop the three moralities. I'm just repeating myself there. Uh, the Bodhisattva Bhumi say, cultivating the mind is the foundation for all the trainings of the Bodhisattva. Cultivating the mind like you cultivate a garden. Learning to cultivate, cultivate, take care of it, water it, don't let it die. Try not to let it die, try not to let it wither. It's like planting a garden. And you sleep in, and you sleep in, and you sleep in, one day you get up and it's all fried and wilted because you didn't water it. Did you understand what I mean? That, that land? Make sense? You go to all that trouble to lay out a garden and plant uh, beautiful flowers and vegetables and that sort of thing to feed beings, and then you don't cultivate it. You don't take care of it. Cultivating the mind, the mind, because the mind is the sovereign. Everything is done and flows from mind cultivating the mind, understanding the mind. It's the foundation for the all the trainings of the Bodhisattvas. See, the antidote of evil deeds or wholesome activity is, is virtue. If you 
uh, build up a virtuous being, wholesome activity, good activity, things that benefit yourself and other beings. It's the antidote. Does it say, have you seen anywhere in here that you need to recall what happened in childhood? Is that coming up? It might. You can hope. Or what happened in the womb? Or what happened in a previous lifetime? Have you seen that anywhere? Or who did it to you? Or you're doing unvirtuous things, but you have to recollect who did it to you and when they did it and who you can blame. And, rec and bring it up again and again and again and again. Anywhere in here? No. What do you do? You wear it away by doing what? Just virtue. And all of a sudden, it, it, can't, it can't live anymore. It just can't live. So, Mother Mark, if, if you use these in conjunction... In theory. Yes. In theory, yes, yes. just for example. Yeah. If I think of all the ways, for example, where I can restrain myself from this, or walk slower, walk more quickly, you know, what, whatever it happens to be. So how about something like, uh, you, when you go home, you turn your tele instead of practicing meditation or studying Dharma, or uh, um, doing beautiful, beautiful artwork, so, you know, something that, that, that actually uplifts your mind at you, you go, oh, look at the television. I'll just watch television for, for 20 minutes. And three hours later, every night, three hours later, three hours later, that's not restraint. That's, that's what they mean. That, that kind of, that's not restraint. But, but uh, so what would you do? The best thing you could do is instead of going home watching television, you go to a place with others that are doing something very, a ceramics, well, not, not according to this, you would go to a, a temple. A ceramic studio to do good work, to do interesting work, to develop your, your being. You may go to kendo, or karate, or uh, a meditation group, or or something like that that actually is discovery, upliftment, unfolding for your being and for others. You see, because that restraint. also fits with virtue. It's virtue, and it fits with benefiting yourself and others. Yep, and so there's a connection. There, what I'm trying to say is that it's, it seems like there's an expansiveness and an interconnectedness. Yes, absolutely. And it's yes. quite simple if you just... If you understand it. Yes. That's why this text is explaining it in minute detail. Mm -hmm. Because if you understand it, you go, this makes perfect sense. Because then you're building tremendous power. Instead of eroding yourself during the day, you go home watch some television for two or three hours, right? And then you get on the telephone and maybe you chit-chat for a bit. And you go, wait a minute, where did my day go? Mm -hmm. How come I'm not liberating afflictive emotions? Because you're not giving a chance. Does, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So this is about giving yourself a chance. So restraint is about giving yourself a chance. I'll give an example. I would consider the person that, that let's say, uh, every day, I'm just saying of a certain type, there's always the mind behind it, who always ate rice and vegetables with the same sauce every day for every meal to, to be restrained in spiritual practice. 
is not restraint. Mm -hmm. Because they don't explore and make discoveries about their physiology and the rest of the world of food. Does this make sense? They're not giving honor to what's possible. They're not waking it up. But they're restraining to do what? What are they restraining? This is the psychology of this. What are they restraining? Using my psychoanalyst voice. What are they restraining? It seems like possibility. They restrain the possibility of doing... Why would they do that? Restraint of body. Why? They're afraid of their appetite. They're afraid of their appetite. They're afraid of their body. They're afraid of lust. They're afraid of the tempting Chinese sauces lurking in the back of the refrigerator. Or that can of beluga caviar that someone sent them from Iran, probably legally, <laughs> last year. It's just sitting there. Yes? So to be offered a comfortable bed and turning it down because they prefer to sleep on the floor. Is not restraint, not necessarily. Restraint. Why? Wouldn't it be better to give honor to the person that offered it to you? Mm -hmm. And give them merit for their generosity than worrying about whether you sleep up or down? But somebody might need to sleep down on the floor to do what? Defeat their pride. All depends. There's no rules for this. There's no rules for this. The first person who's eating a very simple diet and being restrained about their food may be right on for them. You can't make a judgment about this. It could be the best thing they could ever do to eat rice and vegetables day in, day out for them. That might be excellent restraint. For somebody else, it's a number. Does that make sense? It's a number. Beneficial effects are uncountable in this. This is so vast, I, I could sit here and keep uh, talking for days and days and days about the benefits of, of training uh, in this. It doesn't stop. It just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. It just doesn't stop. antidote for unwholesome activities or maybe even evil deeds is virtue. And bodhicitta is supreme among all virtues. It just gobbles everything up in its wake. Why? I wish to awaken. I'm going to awaken. I cultivate the awakening mind for all beings. You cultivate the awake. That means everything you can do to find the awake mind and make sure it flowers. See how simple this is? It's elegantly simple, if you understand it. From morning till night, and then maybe at night, you do whatever you can do to find, uncover, nourish, cultivate an awake, compassionate mind that you have, and make sure it doesn't get stepped on. By mindfulness, you don't put your foot on the seedling that you planted. Or because you're tired and you forgot that you planted seedlings behind you, you now sit on them to sit on the mound. Make sense? 
Is it? So, what, what is all this practice about? Cultivating a clearer, lucid, uh, more open, spacious, wondrous, interested, compassionate, loving mind, and not sitting on it. Oops. Because if you sit on it, you squash the seedlings. Right? Or step on it. Or out of restraint, non-restraint. That's why I enjoy. You know, I actually take some enjoyment in um, about coffee and um, sometimes building it up where people think I'm a coffee maniac. Really. And then I sometimes show, I like to show them, just for the fun of it, that actually they drink way more coffee than I do. And I, I really enjoy that. And I say, well, you drink you know, so much coffee. Well, actually, I had a, uh, one shot of uh, coffee today and three sips. It's all in your mind. It's all in your mind. Whereas the other person went to Tim Hortons and had right, three cups of coffee. This is, this is nuts. So what's restraint? What's restraint? This is a beautiful subject to study. So if you could write that in your notebook. And think, this is, this, is, this is so deep. To what degree are you exhibiting restraint? That is enlightenment restraint. I'm going to make a distinction here. Do you have enlightenment restraint? Or do you have neurotic restraint? Do you have restraint of societal view? Or do you have restraint of grand view? Enlightened view. Do you have restraint that comes from personal history of unfortunate consequences and fear? Or do you have restraint out of fear? Or do you have restraint because... You're actually using whatever it is for freedom, for the benefit of beings. Take a look at your day. Take a look at what you do. Where's the restraint? Or are you in shackles? Is it restraint of shackles? Are you in a straitjacket restraint? Or are you in a restraint that exhibits an openness of mind and compassion for others? Or at least a developing compassion and a developing awareness of the nature of emptiness. Does this make sense? So be careful that you're not falling into the pitfall of artificial restraint, artificial morality. Sila Bhatta Paramasa. I am a Bodhisattva because I follow the following rules. Does it make sense? You have to find out what the essence is of restraint, the essence of virtue, the essence of benefiting beings. And then from that it flows. And then it, you can't even say what it is. Can you? Beautiful. It's like a beautiful fragrance. That's how it should be. Like a beautiful fragrance that's, that you really can't put words on. But it's there. Like a glorious meal. Yeah. It's just so glorious. So beautifully presented. It's all right. Remember, uncountable. Therefore, when there is an antidote, its nature is to exhaust the opposite, all the non-virtues. 
Engaging in the conduct of bodhisattvas says, quote, just like the fire at the end of an age, it instantly consumes all great evil. D, the mind continuum of sentient beings is like the ground. When soaked with the moisture of loving kindness and compassion, if a seed of the mind of enlightenment is planted, the 37 branches of enlightenment grow, the fruit of perfect Buddhahood ripens, and all the peace and happiness for sentient beings arises. This reminds me of, uh, of attending teachings by the Dalai Lama, or one great teaching I went to once in uh, Ladakh. Thousands of people there, not understanding anything he says. <laughs> not even listening to their earbuds, just just absolutely feeling love, being loved. Love, being com compassion, just the tangible feeling of a being manifesting that and soaking in it. It was glorious to watch. It was beautiful. I say, say to people, how about this? Why are you here? Like, do you understand any of the teachings on emptiness that he's just been giving for two, three hours? Not a word. Do you care? Not at all. Why are you here? So it has profound effect on beings. Therefore, when Bodhicitta's cultivated Buddhahood is rooted, the Bodhisattva Bhumi say cultivating the mind is the root of, of the perfect, complete, unsurpassable enlightenment. E, accumulation, E, accumulation of limitless merits is explained in the householder uh, Palagian Requested Sutra. Quote, the merits of Bodhicitta, if they had a visible form, which entirely filled all space, there would still be more. It's undescribable, the benefits of Bodhicitta. F, that all the Buddhas will be pleased, is told the householder, Palagian requested Sutra. Quote, as the number of grains of sand the Ganges, so are the Buddha fields of all the Buddhas. If one person entirely filled them with jewels, and made this offering to all the well-gone ones, yet it would be a much superior offering. When a person folds his hands together and cultivates bodhicitta, this offering is beyond limitation. G, becoming useful to all sentient beings, is mentioned. Do I need to explain it all? It's beyond belief. It's beyond uh, any imagining the degree to which bodhicitta can benefit beings. Because the removal uh, of, of at least some afflictive emotion. That means you actually get to see the root of it, rooting it out, it's vanishing, it's vanquishing, uh, is a freedom like no other. It doesn't go away. And also gets carried. If it's true, it's deep, it's for real. It gets carried from lifetime to lifetime. If it's real insight, <laughs> true real insight, shapes the being. Becoming useful to all sentient beings is mentioned in the Planting of the Noble Stock Sutra. I like that, that title. Planting the Noble Stock Sutra. Planting the Noble Stock. is like a foundation for usefulness to the whole world. H. Quick achievement of complete enlightenment is explained in the Bodhisattva Bhumis. Quote, when one cultivates that mind, but will not, one will not remain in the two extremes. It's extreme of nirvana, extreme of samsara. 
Quickly, one will achieve complete enlightenment, free of any concept of even what? Being enlightened. Enlightenment. Walking around going, you know, today star? Hi. Uh, I'd like to have some strawberries, and I'm enlightened. <laughs> I met types like that. Uh, pass me the... Uh, oh, could you go and get me the kale, please, for me? Why? Because I'm enlightened. <laughs> Don't think I haven't met someone like that. Beneficial effects of cultivating action bodhicitta. There are ten benefits of cultivating action bodhicitta. Uh, action. Jackson, action. Being for real. How's that? Yes. In addition to the earlier eight, they are A, one's own benefit arises continuously, and B, benefit for others arises in various ways. Cultivation of action bodhicitta is unlike the preceding, since the continuous force of merit arises constantly, whether one is sleeping, unconscious, lacks awareness, and so forth. That means that when one is established in enough activity of, bo of bodhisattva activity, it just keeps happening. One has dreams of benefiting beings. One has dreams of receiving teachings for the benefit of beings. One wakes up and says, what can one do for beings? One sits down and does things for beings. It just rolls on and rolls on and rolls on and rolls on and rolls on. Understand? Continuous force of merit arises constantly, whether one's sleeping, unconscious, lacks awareness, and so forth. Even if you lack awareness, stumble and hit your head, the chances are you're going to use the blood spilling out of your head for the liberation of beings. Engaging in the conduct of Bodhisattva says, from that time hence, even while asleep or unconcerned, a force of merit equal to the sky will perpetually ensue. That's where you want to get. The merit doesn't diminish. Why? Because it's always about effectively uh, helping beings of removing afflictive emotion, wrong view, delusion, and so on. B, the benefit for others variously arises means that the suffering of all sentient beings is dispelled. They are established in happiness and the afflicting emotions are cut. Engaging the conduct of Bodhisattva says, quote, for those who are deprived of happiness and burdened with many sorrows, it satisfies them with all joys dispels all suffering and clears away confusion. Where is there a comparable virtue? Where is there even such a spiritual friend? Where is there merit similar to this? Beautiful. B, uncountable effects. Second, uncountable beneficial effects means that all good qualities arise from this time until one becomes a Buddha so they are uncountable. Can you recall uh, being affected 
by someone or acts by others that are almost improbable. Things that come along and you go, oh my God, isn't that amazing? How did that happen? Maybe someone helped you out. Ever had someone help you out? Where did that come from? Where did that come from? Where did that come from? Where did the idea of compassion come from? Who trained them? Do you see? So it's uncountable what it can affect. Who can, who can affect? Uncountable effects. Second, uncountable beneficial effects means that all good qualities arise from this time until one becomes a Buddha. So they are uncountable. This you have to feel. This means you never know that what you do that's beneficial, where it's going to land. It may have an intended purpose of landing with someone or a group of beings, but you have no idea how many beings it's going to affect. I'll give you an example. Uh, when people said to me, or when we had the Abhidhamma retreat here on Galliano Island, yes? I say to people, you don't understand just the fact of being in retreat for four months and this teaching happening here. This is not me. This is all of us. Has uncountable effects on the future of Galliano Island and the people here and the beings here. So to the uh, beings such as Namja Rinpoche and Utila Wanta and Cecily and maybe Tarshan Lama and others over the years who taught in the tent that was sitting on the site, right? Weren't thinking about in the future, I can see it, there'll be a big center here, and, or someone's house, there'll be teaching happening, and yeah, the main thing. Just a being of benefit for those beings and uncountable riches flow out of it. Do you, do you understand? You have no idea what's possible by just declaring dharma, just by declaring the end and the path of afflictive emotions for all beings. You have no idea who will show up, who will come. Not even show up here, maybe somewhere else. No idea. Thousands. Then you get the person. But thousands in terms of 7.2 billion, <laughs> what's that? to help one being come out of their misery, which they don't even know how much misery they have, is worth it. Because that being may be like a Gampopa and teach 50,000 beings. Some of Gampopa students and Karpa students, the first Karpa, 100,000 students in those days. Could you imagine? Thousands of students going into retreat and studying Dharma. Not even monastics, yogis. Mothers and fathers. <coughs> Disadvantages of losing it. Like that. Disadvantages of losing it. There are three faults of weakening bodhicitta. By these faults, one goes to the lower, lower realms 
By these faults, one fails to benefit others, and by these faults, it takes a long time to attain the Bodhisattva Bhumis. First, breaking the commitment by weakening the cultivated mind deceives all sentient beings. Deceiving. By weakening it. By maturation of that fruit, one will be born in the lower realms. That is, uh, cultivating a deceitful quality of being something you're not, being a bodhisattva, being uh, cultivating it, when in fact you're doing the opposite. Okay. Engaging in the conduct of bodhisattva says, quote, if having made such a promise, I do not put into action, then by deceiving every sentient being, what kind of rebirth shall I take? This is a lot of deceit. There are some people like that. They take a lot of deceit. That means just basically uh, burying your commitment to help beings and to awaken. It happens, but that can be repaired. Second, with these faults, one cannot benefit others. Thus it is said, for should it ever happen, the welfare of all will be weakened. Now the guilt trip gets laid on, yes? If for one moment you forget your Samayir commitment, it weakens all sentient beings throughout time and space in their attainment of liberation. How's that? Now, do you think, do you think a Jewish guilt trip could come close to that? <laughs> but actually, it's true. Not to lay a guilt trip on you, but actually, it's true. Lessening your commitment lessens the power of all the beings around you. So this is why it's important. You're all in this retreat together. Yeah? It takes only one being to go off the deep end. It takes only one being to lose it. And it affects everybody uh, in, the, in this room. Profoundly. I've seen it lots. So what's it like for all the beings that, that uh, are sustained by that energy? Quote, if having made such a promise I do not put into action, then by deceiving every sentient being, what kind of rebirth shall I take? Second, with these faults one cannot benefit others, thus it is said, for should it ever happen, the welfare of all will be weakened. Not to make it a guilt trip, to actually realize that your awakening mind and compassion is affecting every sentient being. Why? They are you. They are your mind. Third, it will take a long time to attain the Bodhisattva's boomies. It is said, that means you'll really slow it down. Thus, those who have the force of awakening mind, as well as the force of falling from it, stay revolving within cyclic existence, and for a long time are hindered in reaching the Bodhisattva levels. Eight, uh, ten, the cause of losing it. There are two ways to lose the mind, which is cultivated Bodhicitta. The cause of losing aspiration and the cause of losing action. There's, in other words, if you lose your feeling of, liber of liberation for all beings, and if you don't do anything anymore with it. The first one consists of forsaking sentient beings, adopting the four unwholesome deeds, and generating the opposite mind, which is disharmonious with virtue. That means, I will go around and destroy stupas. I will go around and pull down monasteries. I will go around and ruin uh, Dharma communities. I will go around and spread rumor and innuendo to, to break up 
uh, a community. You know, these, these kinds of things. Uh, or I will actively pursue uh, activities where I'm <coughs> wasting my life or, or the life of awakening. These kinds of things. Disharmonious with virtue. The cause of losing the vow of action is explained the Bodhisattva Bhumis. There are four types of offenses which cause bodhicitta to be lost if one commits them through the hev heavily afflicting emotions. Mediocre and small evil offenses are merely disgraceful. 20 Precepts says, in addition, when one loses aspiration bodhicitta, it breaks action bodhicitta. You should be realistic with yourself. You know, really look at it. How much really bad stuff do you do? But then you need to go when you leave here. Are there days when you forget about uh, awakening? Are there hours when you forget? I'm not talking about consciously, where you go, I really lost it. I've just wasted hours, days, in something that's absolutely not going anywhere. You've lost it. But the chances are, because you're all in good states, you're going to reconnect uh, with it. There are four causes of breaking the Bodhisattva vow, the former two giving up the training and generating the wrong, generating the wrong view. Shantideva said, generating a non-harmonious mind also breaks the vow. For instance, I've heard of people who have studied Buddha Dharma, and they go, you know, they tell other people, you know, liberation is not possible. Really. You know, you know, it's just an Eastern fantasy. It's not possible. Really. You're not going to do it. Things like that. That's a very serious breaking of commitment. But I know people that do that. You know you're really not going to. You know, it would be worth really if you went into retreat or whatever this is or unsupportive of beings who want to aspire to liberation. That's one of the worst. That's one of the worst. Defeating, defeating their, their uh, aspirations and hopes. <coughs> generating wrong view. Shantideva said, generating a non-harmonious mind also breaks the vow. So watch it. Non-harmonious. And number 11, method of repairing. If one lost aspiration bodhicitta, it can be restored by taking the mind again. Isn't that beautiful? By taking the mind. Oh, I like that. That's really lovely. The question is taking the mind where? It's a joke. things here beautiful eh? for instance you know here for instance he said excluding sentient beings from our thoughts mm. getting so self enamored and self-worried that one actually stops considering the vast view of all sentient beings or even large numbers of sentient beings just me 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 so, Mark, 
What does it actually mean, taking the mind again? Well, I'm going to look for another one, but I, I to me, uh, it means the mind of bodhicitta. Take up the mind of bodhicitta again. It means reflect on it. As soon as you reflect on it, you go, oh, right, my goodness, this is a worthwhile thing to do. It's repaired. But I also take it as taking up the mind, which means reflecting on the clear freedom, lucidity, and glory of the free mind and how precious that is. It's done. You know, I, I get to hear of people, it's lovely, who say, you know, for months or years, I've really kind of lost it. I haven't really been doing much. I've been kind of just abiding my time, working, or whatever it is. And then they went, and they got a ticket to see the Dalai Lama, or to see Nam Rinpoche, or to see this teacher, or, you know, maybe Tarshan, or, you know, Bonnie, or something, and, uh, or Lama so-and-so, or Acharya so-and-so, or Achan so-and-so. And I love hearing that. And the statement of, it's reaffirmed my confidence in the liberation line. It's reaffirmed my confidence that this is the path to be done. So this, this is what it's meant. This is meant to mean taking the mind. The mind of what? The mind of liberation. If you have uh, more and more, if you want direct experience of liberation, then that happens faster and faster and faster. One just one maybe all one needs to do is look at a picture of one's teacher or teachers, or uh, see a, a Dharma text and go, oh yes, of course, or pick up a text. These kind very very fast, and then it may simply be recognizing the freedom of the mind, of course. So on and on, deeper and deeper and deeper. But for some. For years, it's fallow until it just rekindles, awake, you know, rekindles, and they go, I need to see a Dharma teacher. I've, I've heard this from many people. I need to see a Dharma teacher. And then, back. My God, what am I doing? Oh, yes, this is the glory. It's interesting. It says, yeah, one must take it up again from the start. If I were but mildly ensnared, by the four dark actions, which are as disastrous as the four inexplicable offenses, confession will suffice. Confession. Just basically recognizing it. I'm out of it. I've lost it. I'm off the mark. It's a bad one. I know it's a bad one. If one broke the action bodhicitta vow through loss of the mind of aspiration, it is restored automatically by restoring aspiration bodhicitta. Do you see? All you have to do is just have an aspiration again. Done. Read your, your, your sheet that you took for the bodhisattva commence. Just read it. Read it once and go, yeah. That's good. It's done. It's done. And if you need to, do it three times. Done. All you need once. You might only have to go like this. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or maybe recall your your llama. 
smile or the feeling of being in the presence of one's uh, uh, teachers and going, this is why, yes. This is why. Not for them. For them and for others and this that quality of being is why I do this. To, to reach or attain that quality. Through the four offenses, confession is sufficient when one committed mediocre and small evil deeds. Twenty precepts, it really should be committed mediocre and small unwholesome acts. It may take more if you've murdered a whole bunch of people or you committed genocide, these, these kinds of things. That's, 20 precepts says, quote, if one loses the vow, one should take it again. If through the mediocre afflicting emotions, confession, confess in front of the three bodhisattvas, all the rest confess in front of one. In other words, just do it. Isn't that what it's saying? Just go and do it. However you do it, just do it. Go, go take a Dharma text like this and go like that. Okay, <laughs> done. Or like this. Done. Right? That's all. Say a, say a rosary of And you can repair it many ways. Many, many ways. If through the mediocre afflicting emotions, me, I like that, mediocre afflicting emotions, petulant, <laughs> lowly, vicious, non-humorous, petty, frothing, undigestible, wicked, belligerent, nasty, afflicting motions. <laughs> confess in front of three bodhisattvas, all the rest confess in front of one. Whether afflicted or not, one's mind should be the witness. There is no other witness. One's mind needs to be the witness. That's not, not somebody else. Do you understand? In other words, in other words it's saying, you can learn to make the repair to your mind because that's where it needs to be done. Hmm? Instead of going to a father confessor. Mm -hmm. You can do that. Mm -hmm. But you need to make that. Mm -hmm. that uh, <coughs> this is the ninth chapter dealing with cultivating Supreme Bodhicitta from the Jewel Order of Liberation, the wish-fulfilling gem of the noble teachings. Beautiful. If you could uh, read chapter 10, Training and Aspiration, Bodhicitta. Now, training in it. You see, it's so it's beautifully gradual. Mm -hmm. Step by step by step, it brings out how one uh, uh, perfects the path of, of a Bodhisattva. Beautiful, isn't it? You know, many, many students of Dharma don't know this. They don't. They have it in little pieces, tiny pieces. But they don't actually get an entire comprehensive view of what uh, comes together for the proper training of a Bodhisattva from beginning to end. Of course, we're all different, and it doesn't work like a formulaic manual, does it? Does it? No. It doesn't work that way. I have news for you. But it's least important to go, there is a path. And there is an orderly path. And when you lose it, faster and faster you can spot where you lose it and repair it. <coughs> Good. Instead of always going to a teacher and saying, tell me what I did wrong, or tell me what's wrong with me. 
more and more you can go. Like divination. Oh boy. No reliance. That's it. I turned the page, no reliance. No, I don't like that one. <laughs> oh, generosity. Oh, that makes sense. I like that one. Oh, that's it. Wisdom awareness. That's what I need. Wisdom awareness. It's too hard. Meditative mm. concentration. Oh, later. I'll do it later. Patience. I don't have it. So you, you can go through it like, like a divination man. You can spot, spot, spot what it is. No. You know, many beings, they'll go to the last movie. The 10th movie. They'll go, let's see here, the 10th movie. Uh, let's see here. Oh, it's only the 7th. The 10th movie, they go, oh yeah, that's my problem. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm lacking, actually, I'm lacking, uh, I'm lacking actually being uh, able to have a limitless number of samadhis. <laughs> That's my problem. Just work on that. <laughs> oh, it's very important that you actually get to know. Get to know. Where are the holes? Where's the where's the holes? And how to fill them in. And then become like a sparkling, beautiful sparkling uh, glass of water. Of infinite benefit. Thirsty work. See you to e see you tomorrow evening, okay? Tomorrow evening, here. What time? Good guess. Excellent. Yeah, it's a good time. And please, uh, some of you who are walking uh, in the in the woods and so on, uh, please be careful, okay? Not because of wild creatures and so on. Just be careful of uh, stumbling and hurting yourself. Okay? Please, nobody, nobody get hurt. You're all very precious, and please keep your health and safety. It's good. It can be. You know, trip over a tree stump or something like that. By this powerful activity, may it lead to cessation of suffering for countless beings. Base and task of to may all beings be unhappy, may all beings be established in a continuity of bodhicitta, extraordinary freedom, the unity of wisdom and compassion, and the full emergence into Buddhahood for the sake of all. Sarmangalam, 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 Sarmangalam.